Well, today I want to talk to you about seeing Jesus the carpenter. Jesus the carpenter. I want you to turn with me to Mark chapter 6, verse 1. Mark chapter 6, verse 1. When we come to Jesus as a carpenter, most of us who've heard about Jesus, we've, we recognize that the Bible does comment and say that Jesus was a carpenter. But that's about the extent of it. We really don't think about it. And I want to ask you, have you ever thought why Jesus was a carpenter and how that affects us? Now, through the years as a pastor, I have encountered so many different people that from time to time feel like God really doesn't know me. God really doesn't care about me. There's no way God understands what it's like raising these three kids. Amen? And I want us to see what Scripture says concerning that today. So let's go to the Lord. Lord, we just ask You to bring fresh revelation to our hearts and lives. Lord, we ask You that this passage and the others that we're going to look at today would just come alive in our hearts and lives. Lord, that when we leave this place, we will have been changed by the power of Your presence and the power of Your Word. And we ask it in Jesus' glorious name. Amen. Look with me at Mark chapter 1 again, and, and, or Mark chapter 6, verse 1, excuse me. And I want to read through verse 6. This is one of the passages that talks about Jesus as a carpenter. It says, Then he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary? And brother of James, Hosus, Judas, and Simon, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. A couple of things as we begin this and we look at this passage. The people around him in his own hometown struggled with the fact that Jesus had such divine wisdom the things that he was speaking astonished them, his teaching, his preaching. And then he was doing miracles on top of that. They, they couldn't comprehend, who is this? Isn't this just the carpenter? The son of Mary? And sadly, people today still look at Jesus like that. They think about Jesus just being a historical figure. Some people don't even believe in that. But there's overwhelming evidence for his existence as a man living in this world and dying on the cross. But people still struggle with, was he really just a preacher, a teacher? Was he, was he more than that? Was he a prophet? Was he the son of the living God? 
And does he really know what it's like to live on this earth, to struggle, to, to worry about having enough money to pay all the bills and to have enough food on the table till you get your next check? Does he know what it's like when the car breaks down or, or the washer goes on the fritz? Does Jesus know what it's like to, to, to grow up in a household where, where there's multi-generational and it's, there's people everywhere? I do. That's a side note. But. Does Jesus really know? Does he really care? And I want us to think about this. Why, why was Jesus a carpenter? Why not a priest? Would it make sense if he was going to be the ultimate high priest? That he would have been raised and trained as a priest here on earth? Well, if you study the priest during this time, they had it all wrong. They were bound up in religion, not relationship with God. They were about a list of rules and keeping the list of rules instead of knowing God. If he had been raised as a priest, he would have had all of this influence about religion instead of a relationship with the Father. Why a carpenter? Well, the simplest explanation is that in this day, it was common for a father to pass on a trade to his son. The son coming up, the father would teach him. And we know that Scripture says that Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, was also a carpenter. And the word carpenter there doesn't just mean that he was an artisan with wood, but it, it, it has a broader meaning that he was more like a contractor or a builder. And so Jesus probably was not only skilled with uh, wood, but he was also in that climate, in that area, they did a lot of building with stones. So he probably had masonry skills too. He's probably a builder. So that's kind of the easy answer, but I want you to think past that with me today, and I want you to think about something that we see in politics. You're going, oh no. You may, have you ever heard of political identification? Well, I know that all of you know what it is, even if you don't recognize that statement. Political identification is when a politician, you'll see them on TV. A politician will say, hey, I'm going to go visit a factory where they make something, gadgets, something, solar panels maybe. So he'll go to the, the factory and you'll see pictures on the news and you'll see him in his hard hat and he'll have a, a, a lab coat on or a, a coat that they would wear in the facility and, and he'll, he'll be walking and, and maybe even seeing how the, the, the operation runs. And, and, and he'll go through all the steps and he'll stop and get his picture made. What's he doing? He's trying to identify with all the factory workers, all those that are associated with the factory. Amen? He's trying to tell them, I know who, what you're going through. I know what it's like. I'm one of you. You need to vote for me. Right? That's political identification. But what happens is, 
After he leaves the factory, he takes the hard hat off, he takes the coat off, the shoes, whatever he had on, and then he gets, he, underneath that, he probably has a dress shirt and a tie, and guess what? He gets back in his limo and he takes off, and he goes to the next stop. At the next stop, what is it? Well, it could be a various different things. Maybe it's a farm. Well, guess what he does when he gets to the farm? Maybe he puts on some jeans. Maybe he puts on some overalls. He puts on a Carhartt jacket and a cap. He gets up on the combine. Guess what? He, he starts driving it a little bit for some Photoshop pictures, you know. What's he doing? He's trying to identify with all of the farmers, right? And everyone who's associated with farming. He's trying to identify and say, I know what you're going through. I'm one of you. I'm on your side. Vote for me. Right? Then he hops in the limo, takes off his Carhartt. By the way, I don't have anything against Carhartt. I've got Carhartt jackets. Most Alaskans do. But he jumps in the limo, he's, he straightens up his tie, he puts on his suit coat, right? He goes to some businessmen and women, he walks in, he looks like a businessman, and he begins to talk to them. He says, I know the financial needs of your company, I know what it's like, I want I, 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 I want you to know I can relate to you in every way, what you're going through, your banking situations, and I'm, I've got some ideas that are going to help you. I'm one of you. I know what you're going through. I'm on your side. Vote for me. Right? Jesus left the glory of heaven and became a man. He became a carpenter so that we would never be able to say to him, Lord, you don't know how rough it is down here. Lord, you don't know what I'm going through. He didn't just come and make a quick drive-by and put on some clothes and say, hey, I'm one of you and take off like our politicians. He came and lived a life, a human life. He became man. He was born of a virgin, Mary. Guess what? Jesus was a toddler. He grew up to be a young boy. He grew up to be a teenager. Guess what? He was perfect. The text we just read said he had brothers and sisters. Can you imagine how difficult that would be to have a perfect Jesus as your brother? I can just hear Mary all the time. Why can't you be like your older brother Jesus? But Jesus, he lived a life. He went through that. He went to school. He knows what it's like to be in a family with different personalities. He knows what it's like so that he can relate to you and help you through whatever you're going through right now. Amen? So that's political identification. And Jesus, 
didn't do political identification. He did something far greater than that. He became one of us so that he would experience, guess what? He lived on the same earth that you live with the same devil tempting him, the same enemy trying to steal, kill, and destroy his life that's trying to steal, kill, and destroy your life. Yet he overcame him, and now he says, let me tell you how it's done. I will show you. Come to me. I know what it's like to be tempted. I know what it's like to face the enemy, and I have overcome him. So come to me, and I'll show you how it's done. Amen? In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, Scripture says, Therefore, in all things, did you hear that? In all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. To make propitiation for the sins of the people. Propitiation, the word there in the original language in the Greek means to avert anger by the offering of a sacrifice. Jesus became that sacrificial lamb for us. To divert the wrath that should have come upon us. Aren't you thankful for that? There's two things in this verse I want you to remember. It says that Jesus is merciful and He is faithful. Say that with me. Jesus is merciful and He is faithful. Amen? And notice, He's merciful and faithful because in all things, He had to be made like His brethren. His brother. He's family to us. He's the one that's closer than any brother. He is there. He knows what it's like to live a life on this earth as a human and face the things that all of us face. And he went through that so that he could be the ultimate high priest in standing uh, before God the Father on our behalf. And he's merciful and he's faithful to you. Aren't you thankful for that today? He's trustworthy. He's steadfast that we can trust in Him. Also in the book of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, Scripture says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Now that, what I want to point out there is it says that Jesus passed through through the heavens. It's plural. Most Bible scholars will tell you that there are three heavens. There's the atmosphere that we have in the, around the world. And, and our astronauts have gone through that atmosphere and they've broken into the next heaven, which would be outer space. And then the third heaven, Paul speaks about it. He says, I was caught up into the third heaven. And that's where God dwells. It's where His throne is. And Jesus, it says in this Scripture, He came through the heavens to us. He came and left the glory of heaven and became a man and lived a life so that He could be a faithful and merciful high priest for us. I love that. 
Also in Hebrews chapter 4, look at verses 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize. Everybody say that. Who cannot sympathize. Jesus sympathizes with you. Now most of us, you know, we don't sympathize a lot of times. I got caught not sympathizing this week. My little grandson was upset. I looked at him and said, suck it up, bucko. Be a man. <laughs> now, how many of us dads have done that? That's a man thing. Suck it up. We don't sympathize. Jesus sympathizes. He loves us. He cares about us. And he says, he, the high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, he sympathizes with your weaknesses. Jesus knows all of us have weaknesses. Turn to somebody and tell them, you've got weaknesses. Now listen to this. But was in all points tempted as we are. There's nothing that we're going to be tempted in this life that Jesus wasn't tempted and overcame. It says, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Notice that we're to come to Him in our time of need. One time I was talking to a middle-aged dad and we were talking about coming to the Lord and he said, I only come to the Lord with the big deals in my life. He said, the little things I think I can kind of work out and I'm not going to bother God with them and I just, I just come if there's a really big deal. That's when I come to the Lord. But what did the verse just tell us? When we have any need, He sympathizes with our weakness. He welcomes us to come. Aren't you thankful for that? What are you facing today that you, you need to come and just bring it to the Lord and say, here it is. Jesus will never look at you and say, buck it up. He won't. Aren't you thankful for that? I guarantee Levi, my little grandson's thrilled about that because that's not what he gets from his granddad. I'm working on it though. I say, Lord, I want to be more like you. So I, I love that. Jesus knows that it's hard, that it's difficult. He knows that we live in a fallen world. He those that we encounter the enemy who's coming to steal, kill, and destroy from our lives. Amen? So stop feeling guilty about being human. Stop being guilty about having weakness. He knows your weaknesses. But don't just stay there in that weakness. Bring your need to Him and let Him encourage you and strengthen you and let Him make you an overcomer. Amen? When you come to Him, He's not going to push you away. He's not going to say, oh, you just need to suck it up and be tough. 
Listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's God's heart to us. In Luke chapter 10, verse 19, he said, Behold, listen to this, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions. That's talking about our spiritual enemy. And over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. So Jesus is telling us there, I'm not going to turn you away. I'm not going to tell you you need to, to do something on your own and just be tough. I'm telling you, you need to come to me and I'm going to give you the power and the authority to live in victory no matter what you face. I know you're weak on your own, but in me you're strong. That's what Jesus is telling us. He's telling us, I understand. I sympathize with you. I know what you're going through. I know what it's like having difficult relationships. But I will give you the strength and the wisdom and the power. I'll give you everything that you need. In Romans chapter 8 verse 1, I love this. Sometimes we get caught up in the lies of the enemy. The enemy's always trying to lie to us. And the, the enemy's always telling us, you're not good enough and you need to just forget it. You can't live for God. God's condemning you. And it's not God who condemns us, it's the enemy who condemns us. Amen? And in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? There's no condemnation. No condemnation. And the rest of the verse goes on, actually, and says, for those who walk not in the flesh, but walk in the Spirit. And some people say, well, there, it's putting it on me. No, if you look at Paul and how he interprets that phrase earlier in the book of Romans, you will find out that Paul is simply talking about those who are still in the flesh, they're not saved, and those who are saved and they're walking in the Spirit. So he's saying those that are saved, there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Are you thankful for that today? In John chapter 3, verse 17, Scripture says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. The heart of Jesus in coming and living as a carpenter, living as a man, growing up and, and, and suffering all the type things, the temptations, the struggles that we go through. So He can relate to everything we go through. And show us how to overcome it. He's the one who gives us that victory. You say, well, I just feel like I'm condemned. We talked about that. Condemnation is from the enemy, church. It's the, it's the enemy lying to you. So what do you do? Stop listening. Stop it. I'm telling you right now, this is, this is very spiritual, pastoral advice. Stop it! There. Stop it! 
Don't listen to the enemy. Don't let him condemn you. Jesus knows your weakness, and he's not there to, to, to pounce on you and to condemn you. He is there to wrap his loving arms around you and tell you, I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to bless you. You're going to be an overcomer in me. That's what he's there to do. That's why he wants us to come to him. Also, I want us to know that Jesus understands our pain. I, I had a phone call just this last week from Pastor Jose, who's starting our Spanish work here in the valley. And Pastor Jose said, Pastor, I need prayer. He said, I've been in the hospital. He said, I have kidney stones and they're, they're, they're hurting me. It's, it's very difficult. And he said, I've never had any pain like that. And he said, in fact, my doctor said, you don't have anything. Um, the doctor said, your wife doesn't have anything over you in childbirth now. He said, what you're going through is as difficult as childbirth. And he was just, you know, a, he's a great man of God. And he was almost in tears just talking about what he was going through. Jesus knows pain. Jesus knows suffering. Look at Isaiah chapter 53, a great Old Testament prophetic passage speaking about the Messiah. I love this passage. It's, it's repeated numerous times, portions of it, in the New Testament. Isaiah 53 and 3 says, He is despised and rejected. Everybody say rejected. Ever been rejected? Does it hurt? Jesus was rejected all of his life. There were rumors about him, about his birth. In his hometown growing up, ha ha, you're the illegitimate kid. Ha ha, yeah sure, you were born of a virgin. Yeah sure, you're the son of God. You were born in an animal stall. All around his life, he was rejected. And church, let me tell you, he was rejected so that he would know what we're going through when we're rejected. And he's there to comfort and strengthen and bring healing and bring victory over it. Amen? Look at the fourth verse in Isaiah 53. <clears throat> Surely he has borne. Born in the literal Hebrew means to take upon oneself. Our griefs in the original language is actually sicknesses. And carried our sorrows, which is literally pains. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. What that means is that we, we looked at Jesus and what he went through on the cross though in the, that time. They looked at him and thought he must have be going through this because he's cursed of God. Because Deuteronomy tells us that anyone that hangs on a tree is cursed. So they looked upon Jesus on the cross thinking God must have it against him. He is cursed by God. And yet he was fulfilling the plan of God. He became a curse for us. Amen. He took what we deserve and he lived through it so we don't have to. Look at verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement, that literally means punishment or correction, 
For our peace was upon Him. Jesus experienced the death on the cross and all of the pain and suffering for us. It was Him taking our punishment so that we could live in peace with the Father in heaven. Aren't you thankful for that today? The chastisement for our peace was upon Him. And by, listen to this. And by His stripes we are healed. That speaks not only of our spiritual healing, but physical healing. In the verses prior to that, it's very plain in the original language. It was talking about physical sickness and disease. Church, we believe that Jesus paid the price on the cross. He took the stripes on His back. He went through all the pain and suffering for the healing of His people. Spiritual, emotional, and physical. And tonight, we're having a healing service. You say, well, what's that, Pastor? Sunday night, we normally do prayer. Tonight, we're focusing on physical needs. And the whole service, we're going to be worshiping, and we're going to be praying for people, and we're going to be going through James chapter 6, anointing people with oil, and, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick. We're going to believe. Church, in, in this passage, the first one, our text, remember in Mark, it says that Jesus marveled. What was he marveling at? He was marveling at their unbelief. Because he was speaking the truth of God. He was performing miracles in their presence. And yet they did not want to believe. And what happens? When you don't have faith and you don't believe, it's not too long until you don't see any miracles from God. You say, well, why don't we see miracles today? I just told you. We do see miracles. Why don't we see more miracles? Unbelief. He knows your weaknesses. He suffered. He went through so that He could bring deliverance to your body. Amen? That verse there speaks of Jesus being scourged for one reason, and that is for our healing, spiritual and physical. And if Jesus has already borne our sicknesses, then why do we Hold on to them. I've literally seen Christians that came and began to compare all the suffering they were going through. How are you doing? Well, I've got this, and I've got this, and I've got this. Well, that's nothing. Guess what? I've got this, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this. Like they're competing on who's the sickest. You know what I'm talking about. Church, don't bore in your body what Jesus already took upon Himself and paid for. So tonight, if you need a healing touch from Jesus, you come expecting a healing touch from Jesus. You don't come expecting anything from me or any of our elders or deacons or pastors, you come expecting an encounter with Jesus tonight because His Word says He bore all our sickness and disease. Amen? I want you to think about what Jesus went through. 
He suffered physically. He suffered scourging. He was beaten with rods. He was beaten with fists. Three different garrisons of soldiers beat him. They plucked his beard. They put a crown of thorns upon his head. They nailed him to the cross with his hands and feet. They tortured him to death. But church, he wasn't tortured just the six hours he was on the cross. The torture began 24 hours before his death. The last 24 hours of his life, Jesus suffered torture. And he did it for you. Aren't you thankful for that today? He did it for us. He was ridiculed. He was mocked. He was, even all through his life, even until the very end, while he was hanging on the cross, they were still ridiculing him and mocking him. In Matthew chapter 27 and verse 38, it says, Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and then other on the left. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, you who destroyed the temple and built build it in three days, save yourself if you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. There, all of his life, even to the very end, people were, were blaspheming, him, blaspheming him, mocking him, ridiculing him. Church, you need to get ready because if you're living for Jesus, you're going to be ridiculed. And you don't believe that? I want to give you the scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says, All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Everybody's not jumping up and shouting hallelujah. If Jesus was persecuted, we're going to be persecuted. It's very plain. All of us who desire to live for God, godly lives in Christ Jesus, will suffer persecution. It's happening in our world today. It's happening even in the United States. We're seeing a push of persecution for those that believe in Jesus. The verse goes on and says, But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse deceiving and being deceived. We're living in a time when there is great evil in our world. It's evident all around us. This verse is coming to pass and it says that there, the evil men and imposters, those who pretend not to be evil but are evil, it says they're going to grow worse and worse in their evil and in their de deception. They're going to be deceivers and they're also going to be deceived themselves. We see that happening today. Verse 14 says, but you must continue in the things which you have learned. Did you hear that? Even though we're going to be persecuted, we continue in the things that we've learned and been assured of. Knowing from whom you have learned them. So church, we're to keep on keeping on. We're to trust Jesus, know that he knows our weaknesses, knows that he's been through temptations and trials, persecutions. He suffered pain and, and heartache and difficulty. He's gone through all this and he says, it's going to happen to you too, but in the last days you just need to keep your eyes on me. Keep going forward in what you've learned from me. Keep 
praying. Keep reading the word. Keep living for him. And church, we're going to go all the way through. We're going to go all the way through. How many have read the end of the book? How many notice that through Jesus Christ we win? Amen. We win. Thank you, Jesus. There's one other thing I want to mention and we'll close. Back in Mark, in our original verse as we launched this study, in verse 3 it says this. Notice this. It says, Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, Hosus, Judas, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? What I want you to notice in that verse is that there's no mention of Joseph. When Jesus was on the cross, what did He tell John? He said, John, Mary is now your mother. You're going to take care of her. Mary, this is now your son. John's going to take care of you. He never would have done that if Joseph had still been alive. And in this passage, Joseph would have most likely been mentioned if he was still alive. And I want to ask you why Jesus, who raised Lazarus from the dead, raised others from the dead, why his own dad? Why, why did Joseph die and Jesus didn't raise him from the dead? It's because we can't stand before Him one day and say, you don't know what it's like to lose somebody to death who was close to you. Just last month, I received a phone call that just shocked me. My 27-year-old nephew was killed in a car wreck. Melinda and I went to the funeral and they asked me to, to do the funeral. It was very difficult. I, he was, when he was 12 years old, I had baptized him. And until you've experienced the loss of someone close, a, a parent or a relative in your close family, you really don't know what it's like. But I, I'd lost my dad. I still had my mom. But to lose a nephew that was only 27, that had a whole life, a future that, you, that we thought ahead. But you know what? I went to Jesus in my weakness saying, Jesus, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can preach and make it through this funeral. Lord, I come to You in my weakness and I ask You to strengthen me to work through me. That I can speak words that will comfort the family and encourage the friends. And that through this loss, Lord, that they would be drawn closer and closer to You and they wouldn't be pushed away. And the, the Lord that we serve, church, the One who now sits on the throne, who's King of kings and Lord of lords, overall, He's the same one 
who lived as a human and went through everything that we, we go through. And He says, I'm here for you. I know I can identify because I've gone through it. Will you stand with me?